You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. And welcome back. Real Presence Live this morning, part of the Diocese of Duluth, Minnesota. We are located today at St. Martin's Church in Tower, Minnesota, on the shores of beautiful Lake Vermilion. Mark Cheney is your host. Father Nick Nelson is with us. And uh, thanks for staying here with us on Real Presence Live. Before we head into our next segment, I want to invite you to visit our website, realpresenceradio.com, for more great content. There are ways you can listen to programming in your local area, find a podcast if you happen to miss one of our daily shows, submit a prayer intention, and see the latest cancellations and announcements that are coming out with the coronavirus precautions, easy for me to say. Be sure to check it out. It's realpresenceradio.com. Again, welcome back. Real Presence Radio, Real Presence Live this morning. And we have a special guest. Father James Goodwin of the Diocese of Fargo is with us as we say good morning, Father Nick. Good morning, Father James Goodwin. Good morning. We are here today. We have got a lot to talk about. Um, thank you for being with us on the air, Father. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I was ordained in 1997 and uh, served as an associate out in Jamestown and then uh, pastor in uh, Hankinson, North Dakota. Then I was sent to Catholic University to study canon law. And I was pastor in Laramore and then ended up as judicial vicar. And I've been judicial vicar ever since. All right. Father, um, I know it's uh, a tough thing, uh, canon law and that, so maybe ask you, what, what did you do wrong to be sent to study canon law and be, come back and be judicial vicar? How did, yeah, how did you get into that? Well, uh, I remember when uh, the bishop, he called and told me that I was going to do this, and the next time I was at a uh, priest gathering that the priest all said, oh, congratulations. I'm glad it's not me. <laughs> yeah. uh, that tends to be the uh, view of canon law uh, in the diocese and in the in the uh, church in general. Uh, most guys try to get out of that if they can. I, however, was a volunteer. I was asked if I was okay. interested in studying canon law, and that was early in my priesthood, and I said yes, and uh, of course I had to wait uh, for the bishop's pleasure, and eventually uh, Bishop Aquila decided to send me off. A lot of misconceptions surrounding the Catholic view on divorce and annulments. Uh, what are some of those common misconceptions people have about the Catholic teaching on divorce and the annulments? Well, actually, the reading of the Gospel today uh, was uh, very much in line with what we're talking about, where uh, Jesus himself says that uh, that uh, if, you, if you are divorced and then you remarry, that you're committing adultery. And that throws people off quite a bit, because we have a lot of divorce in our culture, and obviously it's a concern, it's something that's a long-standing teaching in the Church. It's not something that uh, we just made up on our own, uh, this, this teaching against divorce. It's not something that the Church invented later on. This goes back, actually, to the teaching of Jesus, that when we marry, the intention is that we marry uh, for, for life. And... That's always uh, been the, the understanding and the teaching of the Church about the sacrament of matrimony. However, we understand that uh, sometimes things seem to go wrong, that something uh, seems to be amiss in a marriage, and 
Uh, sometimes there are good reasons why people separate. There may be abuse in a marriage, uh, in which case you don't counsel someone to stay in an abusive relationship. That would, that would be wrong, too. So what happens when people obtain a civil divorce, uh, which we view as a separation, and, and then they're questioning uh, whether or not their marriage was valid to begin with, because there are, there are things that need to be in place in order for a marriage to be valid. And if one of those things is missing, if there was something uh, that was lacking in consent, or if one or both of the parties was incapable of giving consent at the time that the marriage was celebrated, then the marriage would be invalid. That's not a divorce. It just simply says that this uh, marriage that appeared to be maybe okay at the time, that there was something there that was missing, something that was wrong from the very beginning. And so it's our job as a tribunal when uh, a Catholic approaches us or anyone approaches us to say, uh, I would like to have my marriage examined. I would like to have it looked at to see whether or not it was, in fact, a valid marriage. Now, we presume that all marriages are valid until someone questions that, and then there's a judicial decision uh, regarding that, and that's what the tribunal does. Is You know, sometimes people are like, well, what do you mean I'm on trial for this? Well, they're not. What's on trial here is the consent that they gave at the time. And sometimes there are things that uh, people have going on in their lives that have uh, made them unable to consent, or maybe one of the parties has, uh, you know, for example, had an intention to never have children. That's one of the requirements for for a valid marriage, is that there has to be an openness uh, to human life. But if one of them marries maybe even, and doesn't maybe even tell the other partner, well, I'm not interested in having kids and I intend never to have them, then that could invalidate the marriage. They might not even been aware of it at the time. So that's our job, is to take a look at that and and to say, okay, what was going on at the time that you gave consent, at the time that you uh, chose each other uh, in marriage? Sometimes that leads to a decree of nullity. Uh, sometimes it does not. Sometimes we, we give a decision where we, we uh, believe that the marriage was, in fact, valid, at least on that ground. Okay. Uh Father James, you mentioned um, even uh, the gospel today, and then uh, later on in Matthew, Jesus talks about that in Matthew 19. And as a, as a priest, you know, I've had other conversations. In fact, one of my good friends is uh, the Baptist pastor in town. And uh, it's interesting, they obviously would interpret um, Matthew 19 a little differently. This is what Jesus says. He says, because of the hardness of your hearts, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. So I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, unless the marriage is unlawful, and marries another, commits adultery. And many um, Protestant Bibles will um, translate that, unless, um, you know, the case of, of adultery or something. Can you say anything about that and how the Church understands it, especially in regards to the permanence of marriage? Okay. Well, we believe that marriage is ordered towards permanence, and, and that's what people are promising when they stand before the altar. And our view is that when somebody makes a promise before God, uh, 
uh, in the presence of the witness, the priest or the deacon, that we take them at their word, that we take them as to what they've said is what they intend. In the issue of adultery, adultery alone is insufficient to invalidate a marriage. Okay. Because that can happen in any marriage, unfortunately, uh, that somebody might be unfaithful. However, if a person marries with the intention of saying, well, I'm not going to be faithful to my spouse, that I am, I'm, uh, I'm withholding my fidelity from them, and I, you know, I'll be faithful to them when it pleases me to do so, but if it doesn't, then I will choose to do otherwise. If they enter with that kind of an intention, then it would invalidate the marriage. And believe it or not, some people, in fact, do that. One thing you learn after doing this job for, uh, well, it's been about eight years now, uh, you run into all kinds of things uh, that can happen. Uh, so we would say that, that, that infidelity alone is not sufficient, but in fact it has to be an intention against being faithful to the partner. That would invalidate a marriage. So when Jesus says marriage, unless the marriage is unlawful, what does he mean by that? That means well, basic other, conditions, uh, right? That's what you're talking about, right? For, yeah, there's, um, other, yeah. there's other kinds of, of things that uh, come into play yeah. uh, in terms of impediments uh, to marriage. So, for example, if somebody had been previous, previously married, okay. um, then their marriage would be unlawful because as we're concerned, and unless an annulment has been granted, they would be unable to enter into into a, another marriage. Uh, so if there's a prior bond, uh, it could be that uh, the parties are uh, too young to marry, that they, they don't have the ability to, to formulate a, a valid consent. You know, 10-year-olds can't, could not marry. It would be unlawful to do so because they would not be able to do that. Um, if one of them is abducted or forced into marriage, that would be uh, would be an unlawful marriage. So there's other impediments out there that would make a marriage unlawful. Yeah, Father. Um, one thing I you know going through seminary realized, and I think a lot of uh, people don't understand, and this gets into the um, you know our teaching even on. Um, only a man and a woman can get married and not two men, is the fact that um, impotence makes um, a marriage invalid. Is that correct? Uh, sorry, I didn't, I didn't hear Oh, sorry. Impotence makes a marriage, oh. a marriage invalid. So you have to actually be able to do marriage, you know, to have a valid marriage. I, I think right. that's, that shows our consistency with, it's, we're not just picking on people who have same-sex attraction or identify as gay. It's like, no, you just can't do marriage. Correct. Right. Well, marriage yeah. is is uh, ordered for uh, a man and a woman. That yeah. uh, two two members of the same sex cannot, uh, infancy or not, cannot validly marry. Uh, and that's not even just uh, some kind of ecclesiastical law of the church, but it's actually natural law. That yeah. marriage marriage predates the church. Marriage is something that uh, people who are who are not Christian can still enter into valid natural marriages. And uh, men and women are ordered towards one another. So there you get into even deeper, deeper issues that uh, go beyond even canon law. Yeah. 
And with the nature of our society and uh, the acceptance of, of so many different uh, issues with relationships and intimacy especially, it, it, it's more than just the, the physical act of uh, adultery, correct? Um, where I'm going at is th- we were exposed to so many different elements, you know, pornography and uh, acceptance of that in our society. Well, we've actually Karen Law has been looking at the issue of uh, pornography and pornography addiction uh, prior to a marriage and what kind of effect that that can have on consent. Uh, it's a new kind of thing. It's not something that, uh, you know, in, like anything in the Church, things develop over time. Sometimes it takes a long time uh, for things to develop in the Church, but... We have been looking at the effect that pornography has uh, on uh, the parties when they enter into the marriage, what kind of effect that does have. And it does have some effect. The question is uh, how one would uh, connect that into our understanding of validity. Um, so I think that's something that's sort of right now in, in motion, as it were. Uh, but certainly it's something for any priest who is preparing a couple for marriage. Uh, and that's, it's not a bad question to ask, even though it can be a, a little dicey in a sense, because it's an inter- mm-hmm. internal forum situation, but to ask them if, if they have this kind of problem or any kind of problem like that, uh, not, not just to say, well, you know, well, we can't do the marriage, but uh, to help the person so that when that, they do enter yes. into the union, that it's, it's a fruitful union, that it's a, a healthy, healthy marriage, and that's what we want. This is Real Presence Live. We are coming to you from St. Martin's Church in Tower, Minnesota, part of the Diocese of Duluth. More to come with our special guest, Father James Goodwin of the Diocese of Fargo, when we continue on Real Presence Live. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. Do you desire to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ? If so, Broomtree Retreat Center near Irene, South Dakota, invites you to register for a men's or women's Ignatian Silent Retreat in 2020. Every retreat is led by an experienced retreat director who will offer a series of points for prayer, inviting you to a personal encounter with Christ. For more information, you can call 605-263-1040 or visit broom-tree.org. In today's world, we are enslaved to addiction. I'm Father Chris Alar. Alcoholism, pornography, and drug abuse have become the master of millions of lives, maybe even your own. Addiction has led to countless deaths by overdose and suicide. So what can be done about it? Victims often explain they are searching to escape the troubles of this world, or they are trying to find a form of ecstasy. Unfortunately, these enslavers provide neither. The experience is only pseudo, a fleeting imitation of an authentic spiritual experience. There's only one true spiritual experience that can provide fulfillment, and when you find it, you will find hope. Please visit suicideandhope.com so I can personally pray for anyone you've lost and to get our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, which helps with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide. I promise it will help. 
SJ Machine, proudly named after and dedicated to St. Joseph, provides quality machining and induction heat treating to a variety of industries. Just as St. Joseph worked diligently to meet his family's needs, SJ Machine strives to understand and meet your production needs. Prototype to production, working together toward success. SJ Machine can be reached at 701-347-0155 and are a proud supporter of the Real Presence Radio Network. You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. And welcome back to Real Presence Live. We are coming to you live this morning from St. Martin's Church in Tower, Minnesota, on the shores of beautiful Lake Vermilion in northeastern Minnesota, part of the Diocese of Duluth. Mark Cheney here. I am your host this morning, along with Father Nick Nelson. We are joined with our special guest, Father James Goodwin, from the Diocese of Fargo, North Dakota. And our topic this morning, some of the misconceptions surrounding the Catholic view on divorce and annulments. And good morning again, Father. It is so great to have you with us. Let's continue our conversation yes and so we you know we debunk that myth that you know annulment or a decree of nullity is a catholic divorce um, but looking specifically you know at divorce if someone goes down that road are there some sacraments that divorced catholics cannot um, participate or receive in father well this is this is something we deal with on occasion too that uh, people will ask us about it that if if someone is is married, and then they divorce, uh, divorce alone does not prohibit them from receiving the sacraments. They can go to confession, they go to Mass, go to communion, um, just like anyone else. Uh, Because a civil divorce to us is is a separation. The issue comes in if they are divorced, they were in a valid marriage, or putatively valid marriage, one that appeared to be, and then they remarry outside the Church, maybe in a civil ceremony, then that's a different situation. Now uh, now they're in an irregular situation, and some, at, at that point, do approach the tribunal, some do not, but at that point, then they are, unless uh, there's like danger of death kind of situations, then they would be unable uh, to receive the sacraments. Now, they can do anything else in the Church. They still should be going to Mass. They still participate in Mass. Mass is more than just uh, receiving Holy Communion. It's, it's not, mass is not a communion service. Uh, there's more that's going on in Mass. It's the Holy Sacrifice. So by going to Mass and participating in Mass, uh, and then making an act of spiritual communion, which is something really advisable for anyone who was unable to receive, uh, that can gain them great great graces. And it's important to remember that it's not just people who are divorced or remarried who cannot receive. There's other people who cannot receive, people who are in, uh, in a state of sin, who haven't been able to go to confession. Um, you know, people in that kind of a situation cannot receive Holy Communion either. So it, it's not just uh, one particular group. We try to keep the same the same law for everyone. Um, But we would encourage them, uh, hopefully before they ever enter into that situation, uh, to approach their tribunal and ask 
to have their marriage examined. Uh, to do so after the fact, after after you've already entered into a civil union, makes it uh, more difficult because what if the tribunal looks at the marriage and says, "No, it was a valid marriage." Now you're now you're in a real more difficult situation. So what I advise people to do is, after they have obtained a civil divorce, is within a reasonable period of time, uh, maybe after six months or a year, to then, if in conscience they feel that they would like to have their marriage examined, to approach their tribunal. Everything is still fresh in their mind at that point. They still remember what was going on. Uh, They still have witnesses who may have seen or heard something that would help their case. Uh, and they still know where those people are. It gets very difficult if somebody comes to us after 30 or 40 years, and then we ask them, well, was there somebody who heard or saw something? Well, yeah, so-and-so did, but I don't know where they are now. Uh, That's some excellent it advice. much more um, difficult for us to try to, to nail things down. Uh, so it's important to remember that getting divorced alone is not necessarily, uh, not necessarily a sinful situation for that person, because... They may have come from a very abusive relationship, and they're escaping something really, you know, very terrible, very, uh, and maybe escaping something that would be easily dealt with by the tribunal. So uh, we don't, we're not going to judge them in terms of that. But in terms of getting married again, uh, when we still view them as being married already, that's where the real issue comes in. Excellent advice. So oftentimes. Folks going through a divorce have a tendency, especially a, a civil divorce, have a tendency to, to bury those pains of the of the marriage or the failed marriage or whatever happened for whatever reason and uh, just kind of hide from it um, in, instead of, of where they should start first is, is, the, is their priest, their, their local church, their, you know, their, their foundation uh, where, where the marriage started to begin with. And uh, so those that have moved past that have gotten a civil divorce. Where do they, where do they turn now? Obviously, they turn back to their priest, but what, what are the steps? Well, I think once they've gone to the priest, he becomes their priest sponsor. And then he connects them with the local tribunal, wherever they are. Uh, and then uh, we begin the process and assist them in terms of, of beginning the paperwork. Um, and I know for many, it's a... They'll say, well, I don't want to try to relive the pain. And and nobody likes to go through that. However, we have seen where people have been in multiple marriages where the same thing happens over and over again because they never dealt with it to begin with. And so they've actually inflicted more pain on themselves because they didn't go back and say, well, something is wrong here and, and deal with it. You know, dealing with with uh, personal issues can be a painful thing, but it's also a necessary thing. And it can really help them uh, when they do enter into a marriage to to do so in a healthy way. Uh, Also, when they see the paperwork, sometimes they get a little bit nervous because it's like, wow, they're asking all these questions, and they don't understand why we're asking the questions. Uh, And it's helpful to have a good pre-sponsor at that point who can explain to them we're not just delving into their past lives because we're interested. We're doing so because what we're trying to do is find what ground that this marriage may be, uh, may be something we could put, uh, put through the process. Because we have to have some kind of a ground to say, okay, this marriage was 
uh, possibly know because of this. Uh, so that's why we ask these questions. It seems at first to be sort of a scattergun uh, kind of approach when you when you read through the questionnaire. But it's really important for us, uh, and the more that they can give us, the more we have to work with. You know, giving us one or two word answers for stuff is, is not particularly helpful. But the more they can tell us about what actually happens in the marriage, we've, we've got a lot of experience here in, in figuring out these things because we've seen things happen time and again. So if they, if they work with it, and that's actually the number one holdup when people say, well, how long is this going to take, is uh, whether or not they complete that questionnaire and, and answer the questions and interviews and all of those things that we need to accumulate evidence for, for the case. Uh, that's really the biggest holdup more than more than anything else because again people they don't want to go back over something painful so they tend to put it off they tend to say well I'll do that later and later becomes a month or two months down the road and then sometimes they'll call and say well where, where's my case well it's it's with you right now um, so we try to we try to hold their hand as as they go through this and help them along and the pre sponsor is especially helpful for that too because they know them far better than we do. And they can really encourage them and help them and help them to see the, the positive value of, of what's going to come out of this. Thank you, Father. If there's someone listening right now who is divorced, and I would also, you know, remarried, so they're in a re- irregular situation as now. Now, what, what can they do? What, what would you suggest to them if they want to, you know, move forward um, yeah, what would you say to them? What are some options that they have at this point? Okay, well, tell them. I would tell them first is you know don't despair. Uh, you know, okay. don't give up. Uh, we we certainly don't want that. Um, talk to your priest. Get in contact with your tribunal and start looking at at your previous marriage. Uh, but at the same time, uh, continue to practice the faith. Uh, the faith is more than uh, being able to receive the sacrament even though that is, of course, uh, the, the high point, as it were. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, there's lots of people who are in a situation where they can't. Uh, so you can continue to practice the faith. You can continue to pray, uh, especially the devotional life of the Church, the Rosary. Uh, you can go to adoration. You can go to benediction of the Blessed Sacrament. You can make acts of spiritual communion. Uh, you participate in Mass. Um, you, all the different things that parishes offer uh, and that the faith offers for us to foster our relationship with God, all of those things are still available. And, and God is not going to give up on anyone. So, you know, don't give up. He, he's still there. He, God still loves you. God wants you uh, to be fully reconciled to the Church. And that may be a difficult path, uh, to do, and, and we'll make it as easy as possible, uh, but nonetheless, uh, we, we're called to persevere. And so don't despair of your salvation, don't despair of hope. Uh, instead, continue to pray, continue to be faithful, continue to come to Mass, uh, continue to make those acts of, of spiritual communion, and and work with your priest and work with your tribunal, and, and try to see whether or not there's something uh, there that we can do to help you to restore you fully to the sacrament. Uh, and and sometimes, you know, I've, I've seen people who've been going to Mass for uh, maybe even decades who have who are unable to receive the sacraments, 
And then finally, they're able to come and approach the tribunal and start start working towards that. Uh, but they've been faithful for decades, and that really uh, is really a moving thing for me to see someone who maybe is unable to, to receive Holy Communion, but is there at Mass, recognizes that Jesus is present there at the Mass for them, and they continue uh, to worship the Lord along with, with the rest of us. Some, well, that's some really a wonderful great information. Way. Yes. Some great information for those of us that are in that situation. We are going to wrap up this segment and continue into our next segment. This is Real Presence Live. And coming up next, we'll continue our discussions on uh, being divorced Catholics as we visit with one man and how he's remaining to be faithful to his vows while still being divorced. That's coming up next here on Real Presence Live. Thank you, Father James. Bless the day. 